0: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Odd Lots podcast. I'm Tracy Alloway.
1: And I'm Joe Weisenthal.
0: Joe, uh, let's see. I know we <laughs> keep putting caveats on all our episodes recently, but we are recording this with less than a week to go before the presidential election in the US.
1: Yeah, uh just uh just 5 days to go. Yeah. So the whole world could be different by the time people are listening to this. This whole episode Could just be like this weird time capsule from some normal time, or I guess not really normal these (laughs) days, but from some totally different time. So, hello from the past.
0: So, on that note, uh, you know, everyone in DC is getting ready for the election. And uh, at the same time, you can just imagine there are rooms filled with people, um, you know, with policy wonks who are trying to figure out. What policy might look like under both, uh, you know, another four years of Trump and also potentially four years of Biden?
1: Yeah. So I think like, you know, the first order of business, most people assume if there is, say, a Biden administration would be some sort of major spending stimulus, sort of uh, heavy running up the deficit in order to get the economy back to a uh, trend or accelerate the return to full employment then, you know, that's the kind of thing that people imagine could get passed in February. But if, you know, we're talking about a Biden administration or any Democratic administration in the future, then there would also be further policy questions uh, beyond that. And one of those, of course, would be uh, the future of uh, the tax system, which was reformed in the first Trump administration.
0: Yeah, I mean, taxes have been a big talking point, uh, you know, ever since Trump came in in 2016 and did a lot of stuff, including reducing the corporate tax rate. But uh, the Biden tax program is also getting a lot of attention at the moment because he's talking about doing a tax hike for um, very wealthy individuals. And also, I think, talking a little bit about maybe um upping or imposing tax on capital gains. So. Clearly, yeah. this is all in focus. Uh, death and taxes are inevitable. Um, the fact that all Lots would do an episode on taxes, I suppose, is also inevitable. But I think one really interesting thing when it comes to tax policy is, you know, there is this idea among economists and among policymakers that they're trying to balance a number of things here. You know, they're trying to uh, balance I, I guess you would say the efficiency costs of taxes um with their benefits so you know making society more equal right bringing in revenue for the government obviously and there's a tendency to look at that in a really rational way but as hopefully a, a lot of people know already you, the average person on the street might have different ideas about the drawbacks or the benefits of taxes um Depending on their personal position, right? They're not right. necessarily thinking about it rationally.
1: No, people don't necessarily think about taxes rationally, other than most people don't like paying them, and most people, yeah. all else <laughs> equal, would like to pay less. But I, I do think you know it's interesting, yeah. and we'll get into this in the conversation. I have a, my, I feel like the salience of taxes as a political issue has gone down, there are a lot of people for whom. Cutting taxes, you know, is this huge mantra for years is probably the, one of the defining elements of uh, the GOP in the U.S. is that they're the party mm. of tax cuts. And of course, Trump did cut taxes. But it feels like, you know, with everything else going on these days, with so many cultural fights and COVID and other question, the salience of the tax number, which has already been cut a lot, feels like it has uh, less political resonance. But we'll discuss that with our guests. Maybe that's just my bias. Uh, I don't know who knows if that's actually true.
0: No, I th- I think you're right.
1: It just feels yeah. like there aren't like, you know, like tax cut Republicans. It used to just be such a thing and it feels like that people have sort of moved on. But who knows?
0: The good old days when uh, the only thing people were really getting worried yeah. about was uh was higher taxes. Yeah. yeah.
1: Easier times.
0: A simpler time. <laughs> All right. Well, uh That brings us um, quite nicely to our guest for this episode, I I suppose. Uh, So we have Stephanie Stancheva. She's a professor of economics over at Harvard. She's done a lot of really interesting research on all types of policy, but uh, specifically she did a very good paper about taxes recently. Uh, She also, I think, just won the uh, Elaine Bennett Research Prize, a very prestigious award in economics. And I think she's also been tipped as a future Nobel Prize winner. Uh, Hopefully, we're not jinxing it by (laughs) saying that. But uh, Stephanie, thank you so much for coming on.
2: Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here.
0: So I guess just to begin with, uh, you know, you published this paper, I think it was back in August, and it was called Understanding Tax Policy, How Do People Reason? And the really interesting thing about this was you went out and you did a really massive and detailed survey about how people individually feel about taxes. Why did you decide to take that approach?
2: Yeah, so when I decided to do this project, it came from uh, having experience with other such types of research, uh, where I've been trying to understand how we as citizens think about our public policies, the economy and society. You know, how we reason, what we perceive as fair, what shapes our views. I think this is very important, both for researchers and then for policymakers to understand uh, in order to design policies that are better in line with our views as society. And I founded for this the social economics lab at Harvard, where we do these large-scale social economic surveys, um, sometimes on several countries, to try and see how people reason, um, how people understand things. And you know, the key idea is basically, we need to listen more to people. Um, and so this project on tax policy came from the idea that you hear a lot of things in the policy debate, some of them economists would say are accurate, others you may say are quite misleading. And so I was very curious, what are sort of the mental maps, the mental models people use when they decide what tax policy to support, what tax policy to vote for?
1: So do people ever like higher taxes? <laughs>
2: So there's a lot of complex considerations that go into thinking about taxes for people. Um, What I find is actually that the key factor in people's minds is how fair is the tax system. Um, People care first and foremost about fairness. And what's interesting is that, of course, fairness is in the eye of the beholder. So do people like high taxes? Yes, for some people who believe that it's actually unfair to have a lot of income inequality or a lot of wealth inequality, uh, for those people, higher taxes would actually be considered fair. And so perhaps the the complexity here is that fairness truly is in the eye of the beholder and means very different things to different people.
0: So one of the interesting things about your paper is that you also... um, do this research and you sort of uh, talk to people along partisan lines. So I'm, I'm curious, does the idea of fairness change substantially depending on whether you're Republican or Democrat?
2: So our ideas about taxes actually look very divided along political lines and not just in the final policy views, if you want, whether we want higher or lower taxes, um, that we, we already knew and we can easily see. But actually at every step of the reasoning about taxes, uh, there are big political divides. So what are the considerations, if you want, that people, that people have in mind and how are they uh, divided along partisan lines? Well, the first thing people care about is what will be the economic effects of raising taxes or lowering taxes. The second thing they care about is who will benefit, who will gain, who will lose. And then the fairness concerns, I would summarize as, how do we weight the gains and losses? Um, how much you know, weight do we put on the losers? How much weight do we put on the winners here? People also care about their views of the government, um, how the government will spend that revenue. Is the government efficient? Does the government have a lot of waste? Um, and then finally, people also care about what they already know on the current tax system. And so, at each of these steps, there's actually big political divides. So, to make this simple, uh, if you're more on the left, uh, on the Democrat side, then you actually think taxes have lower economic costs. So, higher taxes don't hurt the economy as much. You also think that, in general, uh, tax cuts—you know—at the at the top will really mainly benefit higher income uh, people, as opposed to if you're on the right, where you believe in trickle down, namely that tax cuts on high incomes will benefit everyone else as well. It will be the tide that lifts all boats. Um, If you're on the left, you also tend to think that it's much more unfair to have so much income inequality or wealth inequality, and you believe fundamentally people are not entitled to infinitely high incomes and that it's fair to tax away at least part of it. What's perhaps most striking is that there is Partisan divide even on the perception of reality. That's what I call polarization of reality, Mm. which is even about the current tax system, how high is the top tax rate? Where does the top tax bracket start? How high is the estate tax, etc.? Even there, there's actually uh divergence along political lines. So, in a nutshell, people who are on the left tend to think taxes are lower, less progressive, there's more income inequality than people on the right do. And what is striking is that these are things that one can actually look up. Um, this is not a matter of opinion. This is a matter of current factual realities.
1: So I am I want to talk a little bit more, you know, well, I'm curious, obviously, about what you found, but I want to talk a little bit more about your uh, methodology and your approach and why you think the survey going out and asking people is a good idea, because I'm curious if like, you know, if someone came to me and said, like, "Oh, what are your views on the tax system, or why do you support higher or lower taxes? You know, I might come up with some thoughtful thing about fairness because I'm talking to someone and I want to sound reasonable and I want to say, "Oh, well, it's very important for me to know that it's being spent well. and I want to say smart sounding, sophisticated things, but then 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 they leave, and then I'm thinking, I just want lower taxes because I want to keep more money. So I'm curious about what you see is the advantages, uh, the costs and benefits of the survey method towards getting people's opinions on what you just described are uh, very political questions.
2: This is a great question. And let me give a bit of background to this methodology. So, you know, the key idea is really that it's important to get into people's minds, into our minds as citizens. And there are things which we cannot see in other data and that we cannot extract with other methods. And these are these invisible things like perceptions, beliefs, attitudes, reasoning. And so we as economists have many tools based on large-scale data sets, but these invisible things will still not be seen in these other data sets. So in some sense, directly asking people uh, is perhaps the best way to go here. What's important is, of course, that these surveys are not just you know opinion polls on the street, but actually carefully designed, rigorous research tools. So they're done online uh, in a way that's very interactive, intuitive, walking people through a controlled order series of questions. Uh, and they're done in a completely anonymous way. So there's absolutely no social pressure. Um, you can take it on your phone, you can take it alone in front of your browser. There is no surveyor in front of you. So there's actually very little mis- very little incentive to misreport. Let me just re-say that sentence. There's actually very little incentive to misreport um, your opinions as there is absolutely no social pressure around it. Now, the design is very critical. So uh, I go through several blocks here to get a sense of really what's going on in people's minds. And I actually start with what you suggested, which is, a plain open-ended question to get actually people's gut reaction, which is, what are your main considerations about taxes? And then I can analyze these answers, you know, in a freely open-ended way. And it's very clear what sort of considerations come out. Everybody mentions fairness. Uh, People mention the middle class a lot. People worry about loopholes. But then I can drill down by walking people through more detailed questions. So on the mechanisms of taxes for instance, if taxes increased on higher incomes, what would you think the effects would be? Uh, Do you think higher incomes would be less entrepreneurial, save less, move states, um, work less, create less jobs, et cetera? And so you can walk people through all these detailed reasonings and elicit much more detailed, you know, beyond the gut reaction responses. Uh, And so taken together, this relatively long and well-designed survey actually really shed some good light into what's going on in people's heads.
0: Uh, One of the things that you did um, in the survey was you also, I I think you showed people short videos that kind of explain how tax policy actually works. Could you maybe talk a, a little bit about that aspect of um, of the research? Yes,
2: so my idea here was to see whether if we actually showed people simple explanatory videos, uh, which are fully neutral, nonpartisan, partisan uh, pedagogical, the way you may see in a plain introductory economics course, whether that could actually help improve understanding of taxes. And I designed these videos to be um, short and fun, hopefully, uh, easy to understand. And I simply vary the frame um, with with which I show them. So for instance, one video will focus mainly on the distributional consequences of taxes. Essentially, who gains, who loses, know, to the best of our economics knowledge today. The other will focus only on the economic costs or benefits. So what will be the effects on the economy? Um, Will output be lower? Will there be economic costs? And then the third one actually brings these two together and very much like economists would think, points out that there's always a trade-off between the cost and benefit of taxes. The benefits in terms of raising revenues, possibly redistributing income, you know, as much as is in line with your fairness and distributional inclinations. And there's the economic costs because taxes always change people's behaviors to some extent or companies' behaviors and so entail some economic costs. And that the right tax system is the one that actually balances these costs and benefits. And what I see is that these videos are actually quite effective. Although they're pretty short, they're actually quite effective in uh, making people you know, more aware of the tax system and also more supportive of progressive income taxes and more supportive also of the estate tax. And I I noticed that the arguments that actually people care most about, very much in line with what I said earlier, are really the distributional impacts and the fairness impacts. So when people see the distributional impacts of taxes, how it could actually help, you know, lower income people or the middle class uh, and actually smooth the income distribution a little bit, even if they become more aware of the economic costs as well. On balance, they tend to then side more with being in support of progressive taxes.
0: So you mentioned estate taxes just then. I, I'm curious: did you find that the way people feel about estate taxes is different to the way they feel about income taxes? Or I, I don't know. I, I don't think your paper went into um, corporate taxes, but I, I'm just curious what your take is on on Variations and how people think about uh, different types of taxes. So, how
2: do people think about different types of taxes? In the paper, I look at uh, two major tools on the personal tax side, which are um, income taxes and the estate tax, which is a tax that is paid when someone passes away on the estate they pass on um, to their heirs. And um, I think that for other types of taxes, the The major considerations, which is, you know, what are your fairness views, will also be probably the most important ones. Um, In the case of income and estate taxes, the biggest difference is that people are actually much more unaware of how the estate tax works. Uh, The estate tax is a very unpopular tax in the US. It's sometimes called the death tax, which is obviously not not a great name. And it's very disliked. Um, what I find is that it's very disliked because people believe it's ultimately a double tax, which is it taxes income that has already been taxed at some point. Uh, and it's also very unpopular because it's very misunderstood. So for instance, um, in general, respondents think that around a third of all estates will end up paying the estate tax, and that couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, less than one in thousand estates will be subject to the estate tax. So it's actually a tax that kicks in very high in the wealth distribution that you may pass on. And people are unaware of that. Um, So they believe, for instance, the chances that they or people they know or people like them will end up paying it is much higher than it actually is. But even there, the major considerations relate to fairness. And the estate tax is actually a great example to illustrate how complex fairness views can be. And you or, you know, the listeners can can think about themselves. How do you feel about the fairness of taxing away um, wealth that's passed on from parents to their mm. children? Well, it's actually a very thorny ethical issue, because if you take the perspective of children, then many people across the political spectrum agree that it's unfair for children, you know, just by virtue of being born in wealthier families, to start with better amenities in life, start with more advantages in life, and then receive higher inheritances. So many people taking the perspective of children would feel that this is unfair and that we like equality of opportunity. Um, We like to give everybody equal chances. And so if you just think about the children's perspective, most people actually agree that it's fair to try to level the playing field a little bit by having an estate tax but then flip it around and take the perspective of parents. So parents you know, who have perhaps worked hard and saved in order to transmit wealth to their children, once we take that perspective, their people feel quite differently. They feel, oh, it's actually perhaps not that fair to tax away the wealth of parents who have worked so hard to give money to their children. And by the way, even if parents have themselves inherited and were you know, already wealthy when they were young, even there people think it's not great from the perspective of the parents to tax this away. And so this is in conflict with each other because these two perspectives are fundamentally opposing each other. And so in the end, people have to face this ethical dilemma. And what I see is that on balance, in the end, people who are more on the left, uh, on the Democrat side, tend to on balance say, okay, I'd rather have less inequality among children. I'd rather have more equality of opportunity among children, even if that means I need to penalize some parents and tax away part of their estates. And on the right, people tend to side perhaps more with the parents and thinking, well, it's too bad. There will be unequal opportunities uh, and inequality for children, but I still prefer to leave parents, you know, the right to pass on their wealth to their children tax-free.
1: So. How much uh, the upshot of your research is essentially applicable to the political language that has to be used in any campaign or policy debate? So people have their views. uh, We want to raise taxes. We want to cut taxes. How much uh, does your research essentially sort of inform for either side the sort of framing that can be used to uh, gather public support?
0: So
2: I want to be very clear about my motivations here. Um, my goal is to actually try and help people understand uh, the workings of taxes better. And for that, the first step is actually you know, the diagnostics stage, which is where does the disagreement lie? Where is the misunderstanding uh, hidden? What is incoherent perhaps in the reasoning or in the chain of reasoning? And so this is why I'm doing this project to actually identify how people think about tax policy. The goal also by showing, for instance, these instructional videos is to really see whether explanations, improving understanding can help people. And I have you know, no wish to um, encourage people in one direction or the other, uh, especially when it comes to fairness considerations, which are very much you know, your own individual our own social you know prerogative to have but it's actually really about improving understanding and I think that's very important because many people sometimes actually from disadvantaged groups by not understanding what policies do are not able to assess what benefits or costs they will have to them and I think giving people the tools to understand that means them being able to stand up more for themselves and make better decisions for themselves and you know Perhaps wishful thinking, but I'm also hoping that for many of these things, we can approach it from a more um, objective, nonpartisan angle and actually, you know, improve understanding rather than foster political differences.
0: So I I think your survey, just on that point, your survey is a sort of snapshot in time, but do you get the sense that people's views on taxes have? solidified more along partisan lines in in recent years like do you think had you done the survey 20 or 30 years ago do you think it would have shown as stark a split between attitudes
2: it's a really hard question to say whether polarization has increased or not in the u.s it depends on the issues and there isn't you know so much detailed like the way we would do today, survey data going back in time to be able to say this. However, what is clear is that because there's partisan gaps at every single step, including on the views of reality, uh, they are clearly quite deeply anchored. And so I think it's, um, it's unsurprising in the end, going through these chains of reasonings, that we have very different views about tax policy on both sides of the political spectrum. Now, this is not true for all policies. This is only part of the uh, of the big research agenda. And I've looked at other policies like health insurance or trade policy. And partisan gaps are actually um, not that large or look very different on other policies. So on health policy, for instance, people on the left and the right actually reason very similarly about the economic effects of health insurance, uh, of the benefits in terms of distribution or helping the sick or helping lower income families, the reasoning is actually extremely similar uh, on both sides of the political spectrum. However, once we go to the final policy views and for instance, ask, would you support, you know, a single payer health insurance? Would you support a version of Medicare for all? They're actually, regardless of the previous reasoning, people revert very much back to party lines. Um, And so a gap appears in the final policy views Although it's very hard to detect any difference in how people actually reason about these policies,
1: that's super interesting to me. I mean, one of the questions, and you know, it comes up in all sorts of political discussions is do people really ever change their minds uh, when presented with new evidence? So maybe some people have some have some idea. they're like, oh, I think the tax rate is here. Turns out the tax rate is much lower. Do they actually change their minds on policy or do they come up with some some new reason does the mind automatically backfill some new uh, sort of empirical explanation to support what is uh, their their sort of a uh, political leaning?
2: So obviously our brains are very complex uh, instruments, and we tend to have a lot of biases. And I say we because it really affects all of us. Uh, but I think it depends very much on the issue whether information uh, can improve or change people's minds. So in the case of tax policy as i explained actually people are open it seems to you know explanatory videos or clear pedagogical explanations of how tax policy works that's not true for all issues so i've looked at issues like immigration um mobility social mobility in the us uh inequality views of the government and it really varies for instance when it comes to immigration and that's not just true for the us that's true for All the countries in the survey, which includes many European countries, on immigration, people seem to be very sensitive mostly to narratives, to stories about immigrants, but facts about the actual number of immigrants, how well educated they are, uh, where they come from, uh, how much they contribute to the economy, that barely shifts anyone's minds. And so it really varies and it depends on the issue under consideration. But I have to say one thing, which is that. As economists, I think we have a very big uh, duty to actually remain incredibly neutral and scientific. Uh, you know, economics is a science. It's a difficult one because we deal with complex systems like the economy and people. And so it's, it's a difficult science, but it is a science using models, using data. And I think it's our, really our duty to remain very nonpartisan, very neutral, and to do our best to actually inform people about what we find, what we discover on the workings of the economy, and hopefully that will also grant people some trust and confidence that you know we're we're simply trying to convey the knowledge uh, that we have not to influence them in one direction or the other.
0: slightly weird question, but, you know, a lot of the concepts we're talking about, well, we're talking about how people perceive fairness, but a lot of it also seems to touch on collectivism versus individualism. So what's best for all of society or the economy versus what's best for me specifically. How much of your research... Could be applied um, for instance to the policy response to coronavirus in the U.S. and and how people are um, reacting to that?
2: So the response to the coronavirus is obviously a very topical and pressing issue right now. Um, We did a very large-scale survey in 15 countries, so we have more than 380,000 respondents across 15 countries among which the U.S., and it's been running since since March. Um, and so we've been able to follow people's views on the restrictions put in place and how much they're willing to tolerate, how they trade off the health risk, whether it's their own health risk or the public health uh, risk against their civil liberties. Um, and civil liberties means you know, the right uh, to move around, the right for free expression, freedom of the press, um, democracy being respected, etc. And what we can see is that this trade-off fundamentally differs uh, in, in, in across countries. Uh, so actually, a country like the U.S., uh, relative to some European countries uh, like Spain or Italy, is much less willing to trade off their civil liberties. Uh, for health benefits actually the, the the country that's most willing to trade off those liberties is China, and then at the other end of the spectrum we have US and Japan uh, which are the least willing to give up their rights. France and Germany trail very closely behind the US, so they're also reluctant to give up civil liberties for health and then countries that were hit perhaps very drastically early on and had a real traumatic experience like Italy are much more willing to give up civil liberties. But this varies within country across people. So people who are themselves at a higher health risk, um, and you can predict health risk based on the medical models. So their inputs are you know, age, pre-existing conditions. So people who are at higher health risk themselves are much more willing to have restrictions imposed and give up their own liberties and accept restrictions for all of society uh, you know, for the public health benefit. So that's true within country, and the other thing that's uh, that's true is that these things are changing over time. So as we're able to track people, the willingness to give up rights mirrors the worries about health. And so as the worries about health have declined um, over the summer and actually are now only ticking up again, we see exactly the same pattern for your willingness to accept restrictions or to give up rights. The willingness to give up rights declined you know, over the whole summer. And then now it's ticking up slightly again in different places as we see second or even third waves appearing. And so I think what this implies is that, you know, first of all, it's very important to have safeguards in place because clearly if people are willing to give up their rights, it's only temporary. And so it's important in democracies that this is, you know, ensured to be temporary. And this can actually then encourage people to accept restrictions in the short run because they know they will be temporary. Another thing, again related to the understanding part, is in that project too we actually explain to people: you want the benefits of various restrictive measures. Uh, you know what's the benefit of having partial or full lockdowns of imposing some restrictions? What's the gain in terms of flattening the curve or reducing cases? And once people actually see these explanations, they become much more willing to comply with those restrictions. And so I think the second big lesson is that it's important for policymakers to explain to people why something is being done, to explain the reasoning behind it, and to give people you know the tools to understand why something is happening or not. So especially as our you know, medical understanding is progressing about how this virus looks like and what is beneficial, what is not, obviously we didn't know everything at all Back in March, we're still figuring so many things out. It's very important to inform the public and be very you know, neutral and rigorous about how that's done.
1: Do you feel as though the salience of tax is diminished as a political hot button issue? When I hear a politician say, I'm gonna come out and cut taxes, there's something kind of retro about it to me. Like it makes me think of like political fights in the 80s and 90s or when I was growing up. And I'm just curious if in your research, A, that's the case um, that maybe it's like in terms of people's main things they think about, it's uh, the case that it's diminished. And B, does that create openings for more flexibility uh, for uh, tax policy changes if it isn't the number one thing on people's minds?
2: So are taxes diminishing in importance in people's minds? Well, the first thing to say is that taxes are actually all the time there and they're an incredibly uh, powerful tool. Uh, because they affect basically all stages of the economy, and if we get taxes wrong, it can have very damaging effects. on the other hand, you know a well designed tax system can both raise revenues, uh, redistribute income, if you're inclined to do so, and at the same time not hurt productivity, competitivity, etc. So taxes will always be you know a gigantic public policy issue. How much people focus on them depends, obviously, on what else is going is going on. But the current COVID-19 crisis actually really highlighted some fault lines in, in the economy between people you know, who are able to weather such crisis well and people who are really left behind from it. In addition, it cost you know, governments throughout the world gigantic sums of money. And so very quickly, the issue of how to make up for that fiscal deficit, how to make up for the shortfall in revenues will come to the table. And we will have to take a very hard look at how to change the tax system, how to design it better, and what to do ultimately to get this revenue. So I think, uh, perhaps sadly, it will become a very pressing issue um, in the not too distant future.
0: Stephanie, thanks for coming on a really interesting approach to a lot of these topics. And uh, yeah, I just recommend that uh, people who are listening to this actually go and uh, check out some of your research, including um, the paper on tax, understanding tax policy. How do people reason? Thank you so much.
1: Thank you.
2: Thanks, Tracy and Joe. Bye bye.
0: Joe, I enjoyed that conversation, even though um, I I guess uh, not many people like talking about taxes. But I I do think Stephanie's approach to examining the topic is really interesting. And I kind of wonder what other policy insights you could get from these big surveys.
1: Yeah. You know, something that she said that really struck with me was her point about how a lot of people with different viewpoints actually share some common assumptions and even common reasoning. Right. And then the flip actually happens with a partisan association. So it's like, yeah, I, I think it's wrong that some pe- some children get a huge leg up from inheritance or whatever it is. And there may be a lot of agreement on that. But ultimately, in the end, it's like the sort of like political affiliation of the estate tax ends up trumping um, one sort of prior intuitions that you would uh, that people that you would theoretically use to arrive at a conclusion.
0: Right. It sort of reminds me of like math homework, where everyone is working out the problem in a similar way, but coming to very different answers.
1: That would actually be like, you know, it's an interesting question, though, like whether that's changed over time, um, whether, you know, it's like someone who identifies as a Democrat regardless of their reasoning, ends up uh, ends up supporting the Democrat policy. Someone who identifies a Republican, regardless of their personal intuitions, ends up ends up supporting the policy that's the official plank of uh, Republicans. I mean, it seems like it because people are just the level of partisanship is extremely high these days.
0: Yeah. But I think that's going to be like now that we have some of these surveys going on, I I think it's going to be really interesting to see this data evolve over the next 10 or 20 years. Right. We have it now. um, And you can sort of trace how attitudes are shifting and whether or not polarization is actually increasing.
1: Yeah. And, you know, look, I I think um, obviously I'm kind of skeptical. I mean, again, by the time people are listening to this, we'll probably know who uh, the next president (laughs) is. But, man, it's tough to raise. It seems politically tough to raise taxes, period, in any in any uh, in any environment, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, I think you'd have to calibrate. Well, I I don't know. Look, uh, the world may change, but you may have an answer to that question very, very soon, I think.
1: Less than uh, we'll find out
0: less than a week now. Right. Yeah.
1: Okay. well, we'll see.
0: I'm really worried when this episode comes out that that everything we've just spoken about will be uh, irrelevant and all our work will be for naught. But um, well, okay. we'll just
1: apply it to the 2024 election.
0: OK, how much to rerun everything? OK, yeah. um, to those of you who are listening, thank you very much. And this has been another episode of the Odd Lots podcast. I'm Tracy Alloway. You can follow me on Twitter at Tracy
1: Alloway. And I'm Jill Weisenthal. You can follow me on Twitter at The Stalwart. And you should follow our guest on Twitter, Stephanie Stancheva. She's at S. Stancheva. Follow our producer, Laura Carlson. She's at Laura M. Carlson. Follow the Bloomberg head of podcast, Francesca Levy, at Francesca Today. And check out all of our podcasts under the handle at podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode or any others, we'd appreciate it if you went to Apple Podcasts and gave us a five-star review so that more people discovered Odd Lots. Thanks for listening.